extend trust to someone, give them a job, give them an opportunity. And even if they're not fully there yet, sometimes giving them that chance is how they develop those skills. There's so many great things that come from trusting. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Hello, and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO at JGA Recruitment Group, specialist HR recruiters. Now, whether you're watching this for the first time or the hundredth time, let me say thank you. Please share this with your colleagues. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And even better, please review if you can. But more importantly, today, I am bringing you a very special guest. In fact, it's a returning guest who I could not be more excited about bringing back to the show because I'm bringing back Stephen Covey. Now, if you're not familiar with the first episode recorded about a year ago, it was all about his amazing book, The Speed of Trust, which I read and was inspired by and had to invite Stephen onto the show to talk to me about that book in more detail. Now, this is all about laying the foundations of trust. But since then, the world of work has changed. We've been through a pandemic. We've been through so much significant upheaval. The way we lead others, the way we trust others has also changed. Now, always with his finger on the pulse, Stephen has absolutely encapsulated that in a new book called Trust and Inspire, which I'm very lucky to have a forwarding copy of. I will put a link to that book in the episode notes as well. But for those not familiar with Stephen and his fantastic work, let me just give you a brief introduction. Steve is the former president and CEO of the Covey Leadership Center, which has grown to become the largest leadership development firm in the world. A Harvard MBA, Stephen co-founded and currently leads Franklin Covey's Global Speed of Trust practice and has been recognized with a Lifetime Achievement Award for top thought leaders in trust from the advocacy group Trust Across America, Trust Around the World. He is a highly sought-after international speaker, which is why I'm incredibly excited to have him on my, on my show today. And his new book, Trust and Inspire, has already received some fantastic endorsements, including one from the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, and the CEO of Zoom, as well as many, many others. I will, again, just remind you all, put a link in the, in the show notes to that book for those that are interested. Now, this book is all about how great leaders are able to unleash greatness in others. I don't want to give anything more away. Stephen's the expert here. So, Stephen, welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to have you back on. How are you? I'm doing great, Nick, and I'm absolutely delighted to be back on your show. I had such a fun time last time. It was very exciting for me to say, yes, I'd love to come back. So thank you for this opportunity to be with you and your listeners. Pleasure is all mine. Now, since the last recording, I've introduced a new question to all my guests in the world of HR, and it's this, and what I think will uh, will resonate. What do the words human resources mean to you? To me, it means people and the talent, potential, and greatness of people and the unleashing of that talent, potential, and greatness of people to serve society. So it's all about people. And the whole idea of human resources is that there's talent and greatness in people. We need to develop it and unleash it. 
for the good of our world. I love that. I know that you're all about unleashing potential as well. It's what your books absolutely do. They, what this first book did for me was, was inspirational. Hopefully it's unleashed something in me and inspired me to do more of these shows if nothing else. But you talk about unleashing there in your response. But sometimes that's difficult. And your book is all, all about trust. So let's start at the foundations here. When you talk about trust, is trust a learnable skill? Absolutely it is. It's learnable. In the same way that we can diminish and lose trust through behavior, we can also consciously, deliberately create it, grow it, expand it through our behavior, through our credibility and behavior. So it's learnable. And that's for many, Nick, as you know, that that idea is, is a paradigm shift for many. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of people think, hey, you either have trust or you don't. It's either there or it's not. And that's your starting point. But you can move the needle on this. You can become intentionally good at building trust on purpose, flowing out of who you are, your credibility, and then how, how you lead, your behavior. And you can behave your way into greater trust. And that's exciting. And that's true for a person. It's true for a team, for a culture. You can build trust intentionally and move the needle on it and turn it into a great strength, an asset. Oh, fantastic. So where would we start with that? Because... I would imagine that when it comes to trust, we feel it's innate, right? We feel it's something that we, right. we have. Like, how could we learn it? We just, we either have it or we don't. We either, you know, trust someone until we lose that trust and then it's very hard to get it back. So how is it a learnable skill? Like, well, well, where do, where's the starting point for developing the skill of trust? The starting point is always to look in the mirror and start with ourselves because it's very easy to kind of look at trust as, as soon as everybody else changes, we'll build some trust around here. Yeah. <laughs> or as soon as these leaders change or that person or that, it's very easy to look at trust from the outside in and, and point out you know, where all the gaps are and the deficiencies. But the way that we'll really build and grow this trust is not outside in, it's inside out. And that means we look in the mirror, we start with ourselves. Do I trust myself? And do I give to my team, to my colleagues, to my partners, a leader, a teammate who they can trust? Is it smart to trust me? And, and by doing that, by building that self-trust first, then that enables all other kinds of trust to emanate from that and to flow from that, you know, relationship trust. But think about it. If you don't trust yourself, how are you going to build trust with others? Sure. And if you're not trustworthy, how are others going to trust you? And so it's got to start with ourselves. And then we naturally kind of ripple out from there, from ourselves to our relationships, one-on-one, -on -one, and then into multiple relationships, and then onto a team, and then between teams, and then out into an organization, and then out into the marketplace with customers and partners, and then out into society. So inside out. Now, if you want to diagnose trust, kind of diagnose it, assess it, you can go outside in. That's a good way to diagnose. Outside in is a great diagnostic technique. But the only way to develop, to change, to transform trust is to go inside out. Look in the mirror, start with ourselves, the ripple effect metaphor. For those that are familiar with this show, and hopefully that's most of the people listening now, I've listened to previous episodes, they'll know because I've requoted you many times, Stephen, that I would now claim that trust is the most important quality any leader has. How can you expect others to follow you if they don't trust you? So I think to be able to, to create that trust now is, is absolutely important, something that I'm incredibly passionate about doing with my own teams. Um, and I, if I think about the great leaders that I look up to, I tend to believe that that's something that they're able to do very well as well. You talked about it being a learnable skill, which is great. The one thing we've really experienced now is the world 
has changed, but our leadership style hasn't necessarily changed with it. And you've written a really fascinating chapter about this in your book. But I wonder if you could just tell the audience a little bit more about what you mean by this. How, since the world has changed, since the pandemic, why haven't our leadership styles changed and what do we need to do? Yeah, so this is kind of the whole premise of this new Trust and Inspire book is that everyone knows the world has changed right in front of our eyes. And it had, and it had been prior. The pandemic has accelerated everything. For sure. no, but, but all the technology disruption, you know, has changed everything. But also the nature of work itself is far more collaborative and inter- interdependent than ever before. And it's more service oriented, you know, more knowledge work. And then also the, you know, with the pandemic, especially the nature of the workplace has changed work from home, work from anywhere, remote work, hybrid work, intentionally flexible work. Um, The nature of the workforce has changed. There's more diversity than ever before, multiple generations with different expectations. And then people have so many choices and options today they didn't have before. So the implications of this changed world are enormous for any, any leader, any team, any organization, because it's put a premium on two key things. They call these the two epic imperatives. Of our time. The first is there's a far greater premium being put on the need to build a high trust culture yeah. that can attract, retain, engage, and inspire the best people and bring out the best in people so that we can win this war for talent and, and you know, be a talent magnet and keep our people and inspire them. We've got to have a great culture to do that because people have choices and options. You know, the great resignation, the great reshuffling, the great re-examination, whatever you might call it. It's the whole idea that people have choices and options and they're going to choose to be with a team, an organization. And the best attractor is a high trust culture that inspires people. So that need has never been greater in this new world. And the second one, the second imperative is the need to collaborate and to innovate so that we can stay relevant in this changing world. And otherwise, we'll fall behind. Everything's changing so fast. And unless we're innovating, we're going to fall behind. I and mean, you can't innovate if we're not collaborating. So we've got sure. to collaborate and innovate. That's the, those are the two imperatives. And I call it the first one, the, the high trust culture that inspires. That's winning in the workplace. We've got to win in the workplace. The second one, collaborating and innovating to stay relevant, is winning in the marketplace. But the key to this, Nick, and I think that our HR professionals this, this falls on all of us, is the sequence matters. The way we're going to win in the marketplace is by first winning in the workplace, by building this high-trust culture that inspires to bring in the right people, the best people, to unleash their capabilities, their talents, and to let that then help us build this kind of organization. And to, that it will help us collaborate and innovate. And here's the thing. Our historical leadership style, we might call command and control. And what's happened is... We've become better at it. We've become more advanced, more sophisticated. We brought emotional intelligence to it. We brought strengths to it and mission and and a lot of good things. And and it's become better. I call it, it's become an enlightened command and control. (laughs) But our paradigm is still too much rooted in the old model. But that's not going to work around achieving those two epic imperatives. You can't command and control your way to a high trust culture that inspires And you can't command and control your way to collaboration and innovation. The only way we're going to achieve those two epic imperatives 
is with a new style of leadership that's relevant for our time. And I'm calling it in juxtaposition to command and control, trust and inspire. Trust and inspire. The whole idea that you model, you trust, you inspire, as opposed to connecting and controlling people. And the strength of this kind of a leadership approach is that it's relevant for those two imperatives to be able to build the kind of culture that's going to inspire people and to, to really enable the kind of collaboration and innovation to stay relevant. And command and control won't work anymore, as if it ever fully really did. Sure, but it certainly sure. won't work anymore in this new world, especially with these with the millennials and, and Gen Z. <laughs> you know, people, I like to put it this way, Nick, people don't want to be managed. They want to be led. Yeah. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. Let me it's a better just, way to lead. Just, I, I couldn't agree more, but let me just pick up on a couple of things you've mentioned yes. there. The first thing, talent retention, something close to my heart as an HR recruiter, right? So I understand this piece. And you, you mentioned the great resignation. I like to think of it from an employee standpoint as the great awakening. I think it's been an opportunity where people have opened their eyes to where they want to work, the values and behaviors they want to live by, the kind of culture they want to be involved in, the kind of person they want to be led by, as you just mentioned, rather than managed by. There's a difficulty here because people want to be great managers, but we've gone into right. a much more virtual world of working. People are now flexible locations. We're, we're, we're managing workforces across global boundaries through Teams and Zoom and other products out there to help us to do that. And it can be really difficult for a manager who was used to managing in an office environment where they probably did trust or they felt they trust them to do their jobs well. The environment's changed and now they can't see what those individuals are doing and they want to trust their employees as an HR leader or as any kind of management level individual might be. But they really struggle to let go. They really struggle because they can't physically see the output or, or, the, or the inputs rather. They can't see whether they're online or whether they're not all the time. They don't want to be overbearing. They don't want to micromanage. And it, it creates this, I guess, this storm, this whirlwind of, I want to be a great leader. I want to inspire. I want to lead. But I'm not sure I do fully <laughs> trust my workforce. So how right. do, you mentioned it's a learnable skill. How do we get over that, that, that hump, that, that, that challenge? Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing this up, Nick, because I think most people are this way. Most leaders, most managers, they want to do it, but they also are worried. They want to make sure it gets done. They want to yeah. make sure it works. They want to make sure that people are engaged and, do, and focusing on the right things, and yet they don't want to micromanage. So they're trying to find out the balance. And I think that becoming good at this is what the opportunity is in front of us, to become good at trusting. Because the key is here, how do I trust people and still not lose control? And, and how do I do this in a way that works where I don't have to micromanage and people feel trusted, but I know that the job's being done. You know, I, I'm, I'm still in, in, in control. And they're trying to figure out how to do this. So here's what we describe in, in this book, that the whole idea of, this is one of the one of three stewardship. I highlight the need for leaders to model, the, the need to trust, the need to inspire. This is all about the need to become more trusting as leaders, not just trustworthy. You have to be trustworthy, yes. You also have to be trusting. And so, but what makes trusting work in a remote world and, and uh, where we're not proximate present is that we focus always on two key elements, clarifying expectations around the trust being given, and then mutually creating a process of accountability to those expectations. And in effect, Nick, what we do is we create 
an agreement around the trust being extended with expectations and accountability. And so then when you do that up front, it takes a little bit of time, but then you move so much more faster after, and you don't need to hover over or micromanage because you've built an agreement around the expectations and around the accountability to those expectations. And then people can govern themselves against the agreement that together you built. And then they, they are accountable to you against the agreement that they built. But the agreement governs as opposed to you having to go in and hover over and micromanage. And so it's really an, a very important process to build the agreement together with your people when you're, when you're extending trust with clarifying expectations and, and a process for accountability to those expectations. If you do that well, then you can be very trusting without losing control. In fact, you'll have more control because people will hold themselves accountable. They'll move into a self-governance. They'll report back to you on how they're doing against the results. They'll be more inspired by it. They'll perform better. And, and, um, and then it will become this virtuous upward spiral. And, you'll, and also, I'll say this, you'll grow the people <laughs> because we're always trying to do two things. We're trying to get the job done and grow the people. And it's just that we want to make sure the job gets done. So this is a way of doing it. Build the agreement. I call it a stewardship agreement with expectations and accountability built right in. That I think is the key. And too often we don't kind of build the agreement up front. And then what happens is we, we're distant. We're not proximate. We start to then say, I, but I wonder what's going on. So we kind of intervene, you know, hey, let me let me see what's happening. We might feel like I'm just trying to get informed, but our people might experience it as, do you not trust me? Yeah, you sure. seem like you're micromanaging me. You're hovering over me. And it's just that you didn't up front maybe create a process for accountability that's going to, you know, how we're going to report on this, when, and so forth. That's, it's just critical to build the agreement. And I can I can think about it here. So you mentioned you mentioned trust and how to inspire, which is really important. And inspiration comes from trust. If I think about it, actually, for my own position, feeling that others trust me is one of the best feelings you can possibly have. Like feeling that you are trusted, you know, to do a task, to do something on someone else's behalf without the micromanagement. Actually, it's very very empowering. You feel empowered. You feel motivated. So it's a it's a double win really because. You also then, from, when you, from empowerment, you get performance. And that's the thing. If you can get that empowerment, if you can get that trust from your team and make your team feel like, the, as a manager, you, you know, that you have their trust and vice versa, it can be incredibly powerful and, and to use the term your word, inspiring. But actually, it's empowering to lead to performance. It definitely can impact. Nick, you've nailed it. It's exactly that. So I'll, I'll comment on two aspects of what you just said. Sure. First, is what it does to people to be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation. It brings out the very best in all of us. We want to live up to that trust that we're, we're given. We want to be worthy of it. We want to, we want to prove that it's justified. We literally want to not let the person down. I look at when Warren Buffett, you know, that's bought all these companies. And when he buys these companies, they've all historically then reported right to him. At its peak, he had 77 direct reports of these companies that he bought, and they're all independently wealthy now. They don't have contracts. They could leave and go somewhere else, but they all tend to stay because they feel trusted by Warren Buffett. 
and they don't need to work anymore, but Warren trusts them. And I talked to some of these CEOs, Grady Regier is one of them, and you know, huge business that he runs. And he says, Warren trusts me and I don't want to let him down. Sure. I, I, I feel so trusted. It inspires me. And he, you know, and I, and I just do not want to let him down. And, you know, that's what it does to people. So it inspires them. But the second you brought this up, when you trust people this way, not only do they feel inspired because they're empowered, it brings out the very best in them and they rise to the occasion. They become more creative, more innovative. They come up with solutions and they end up performing better. All kinds of great outcomes, better performance, better results comes from being trusted. I mean, even little examples like 3M company, they had what they call the 15% rule. The whole idea that 15% of your time, engineers, you spend on your own coming up with things that you think would help. Guess what came from that? Post-it notes. <laughs> you know, that, that was an innovation that came from someone just on their own coming up with this. It's, you know, it's a fruit of being trusted. People come up with all kinds of ideas that they, they might have not come up with otherwise. So people perform better and they are inspired. And also I'll add one more thing. They also grow and develop capabilities because you got to give people a chance. And sometimes, you know, you develop capabilities through a lot of different means, but one is to extend trust to someone, give them a job, give them an opportunity. And even if they're not fully there yet, sometimes giving them that chance is how they develop those skills. And so there's so many great things that come from trusting. I think you picked up yeah. on something really interesting there that just came to mind. You talked about the 3M note, uh, post-it note example. There's one thing trusting your employees to come up with ideas, and that's absolutely imperative, and they feel empowered right. to do that. They go and come up with them. But I think where it really works is when that trust is reciprocated because they don't just come up with the ideas. It's the trust then from the employee that the leader, the manager, the person they're giving those ideas to is then going to listen to those ideas and implement them. And this is where it becomes cyclical. You know, it's not just going one way. I trust you to do the work. And then when the work is done, it's ignored or not implemented on. They're the manager then for it. I'm just, just listening to that post note example. That could have been a great idea that they trust that individual to come up with, but it would never have got off the ground if when that idea was presented back, it wasn't then, you know, implemented and, and taken forward. So I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. You're, you're highlighting the reciprocity of trust and how it works. When you give it, people receive it and they, re they tend to return it. Yeah. And when you withhold it, they tend to withhold it. And so this is key is that trust is reciprocal in nature. So give it, people receive it, return it. And then it becomes full, it goes full circle and it becomes a virtuous upward spiral to your point of trust and confidence creating more trust and confidence and everyone feeling empowered and performing better and being inspired in this process. And I'm not Pollyannish on this. I recognize that there's, you know, certain situations and contexts where you've got to, you, you've got to be judicious and cautious sure. because of the risk or maybe the, the credibility of the person, maybe they're not ready for it. I'm not saying you just go trust anyone and everyone. Regardless. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You got to use good judgment. I call it smart trust where you assess the risk, the credit of the person. But we as leaders have got to become more trusting of our people. It's a stewardship. They'll, they'll perform better. They'll be inspired. They'll reciprocate to you. I'll give you another point to this reciprocity. As I've worked all around the world with organizations, 
I'm now up, up to 55 countries on site wow. in person. Wow. You know, in a low trust company, a low trust culture, I find that the biggest reason why employees don't trust their management is first and foremost because the management doesn't trust the employees. Sure. And the employees reciprocate that distrust right back at them. And, you know, that's the idea that distrust is contagious. Yeah. But so is trust. It works the other direction. And when you extend the trust, people receive it and they return it. So during this pandemic and, and this move to remote work or hybrid work and the like, what's the most important thing about it? Because there's many right models and answers. We're all in the midst of figuring this out. But what's most important is the underlying approach to whether or not you trust your people. Because you could, you know, people could be working remotely and still not feel trusted. They might just feel like now, and now I'm just being micromanaged from a distance because <laughs> they feel like they have to. But also there's a great chance right now with remote work, hybrid work, intentionally flexible work to really demonstrate to your team, to your people that we trust you. And so that here's, we're going to these models. Our underlying premise is we trust our people. We have the right people. We clarify expectations around the trust being given. There's accountability to the trust being given. We agree to it. And with that, we extend it because we believe in you. We trust you. And no matter what model you end up with of what it looks like of, of, of a hybrid scenario or remote or combinations, intentionally flexible, what's more important is the underlying paradigm of is there a trust relationship here that is going on? And do the people feel trusted? Can't you say it? If, if you say it, we trust you, but your behavior says we don't really. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. And I'm hovering over and micromanaging and, you know, and we've installed surveillance software on your computers to make sure you're actually working. That conveys, you say you're trusting, but your behavior says you don't. That distrust could lead to toxicity. And, and that's why we hurt so much. If you get, if someone, betrays yeah. your trust it can feel like a, you know you've lost a lover it, it can be really really heartbreaking so the, that gives you an idea of the impact of trust but to bring it back to uh, i guess an hr context what are the hr initiatives that you're seeing that are impacting trust the most i know you've mentioned some of them already the remote working obviously being being one the idea of micromanagement are there any other hr initiatives that you're seeing that are already in, impacting trust the most yes i i think that uh, this whole focus on truly seeing people as whole people as you know they have a body a heart a mind a spirit they're not just economic beings mm -hmm. not just here you know to do a job and get paid you know you can buy people's backs and hands but they don't they volunteer their hearts and minds and when you view them as whole people with a desire to connect you know to belong a desire for, for there to be caring, a desire to use their mind and contribute, and a desire to develop because you, you have a growth mindset, not only for yourself, but a growth mindset for your people. Sure. So they can grow and develop. And then also it is that they have a spirit or a soul or the, 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 the idea that people desire purpose and meaning and contribution to matter. What matters to people is mattering. When we see people as whole people, and increasingly, this is what HR is focused on, that this is not just kind of routine policies, but it's how we view people as the whole person. They bring their whole self to work. 
And so then our job as HR leaders and as other leaders is this. Our job becomes we want to inspire, not merely motivate. You know, motivation is done through rewards, but it's really a carrot and stick. It's a command and control approach. It's external. It's extrinsic. It's outside of us. So we do carrot and stick motivation. More carrots or more sticks. Yeah. And, and does that work? Sure. It motivates people to want to get more rewards. But inspiration is intrinsic. It's internal. It's inside of people. So to inspire means you breathe life into something. So you breathe life into people, into relationships, into teams, into cultures. You inspire, you breathe life into. That, when people are inspired, that can live on for years. Whereas with mere motivation, with reward, you got to constantly feed the hungry bear with more rewards, more motivation. And so this is where HR can really help build the kind of culture that is, in fo- that is focused on, on inspiring and, you know, through connecting with people, through caring and belonging, but then connecting people to purpose and to meaning and to contribution. And so that they feel inspired, not merely motivated. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And you're so passionate about it. Passion is, is inspiring me. I want to ask a question. You, you brought something to my mind, a question that's come from the, from the answer that you've just given to me to my, my first question, which is this. When we speak to employees, when I speak to employees of my own business, when I speak to people looking for new positions in my recruitment world, nearly every time that individual will say to me, I'm motivated by X, I'm motivated by Y. Right? I'm just thinking about this out loud now. So I'm kind of collecting my thoughts as I ask the questions, try and articulate this in the right way. Do you think then that there is a major issue, problem? We need a massive, like a much bigger than perhaps we first thought paradigm shift because we tend to be protective over the word inspire, almost like the word love. It's very rare that I would say I feel inspired to do this. I would much more naturally in my vernacular say I'm motivated. Is that because there is a, a lack of inspiration in the workplace generally? Or is it because we're just, we're not familiar with the term in the same way? Is Or is it because actually yeah. there is just a lack of trust in the workplace, which is preventing us from using these kinds of words going forward? Yeah, I think there's a good question, Nick, because it's probably all of the above to some sure. degree. Sure, But you just said, and, it, and again, at one level, there's some just semantics at play here. And, and in this sense, you might say, you know, let's look at motivation theory. And you wouldn't call that inspiration theory. You say, let's look at motivation theory. And what I'm saying, if, if you look at motivation theory, the highest form of motivation sure, is sure. inspiration. Sure. But I can, yeah. I can still use the term motivate. And, and, and someone might say, hey, what motivates me is this. But so that's, that's fine to use that word. But what I'm might, saying the, is the muscles in my face change if I use the word inspired than they do if yes. I was to say motivated. So you're right. It's right at the top of the scale, you know, but we see the top of the scale. 
Yeah. And so, so if there's a scale and it's called the motivation scale, motivation theory, the top of the scale sure. is inspiration. And I'm just saying, rather than being in the middle of the scale or the, the, the bottom of the scale yeah. with extrinsic, carrot and stick, traditional rewards that might motivate, but may not inspire. Instead, what if we could move to the top of the scale move that where top. people really feel inspired? In fact, there's a study, and I reference this in the Trust and Inspire book, that shows, uh, Zanger Folkman did the study, that the number one thing that employees want from their leadership is to be inspired. Yeah, <laughs> and, sure. and, um, and yet they're not getting it. It was the number one thing by far of 16 things. You know, a leader who inspires but they're not getting that. So I think that that's the need that's not being met. So to your point, there's not enough of this. And I'll give one last piece. I think that we've, we've made it harder on ourselves by kind of equating inspiration with charisma, <laughs> almost like it's mystical. And, you know, like, yeah, you know, you got to be in charismatic to inspire or you got to be superhuman and, or have, you know, unique gifts to inspire. no, Inspiring others is a learnable skill. Just like trust is a learnable skill, inspiring others is a learnable skill that everyone can do. Everyone can inspire. Now, why do I say that? That's a big paradigm shift. Amazing. And I say that because, because you inspire when you connect with people through caring and belonging and when you connect people to purpose to meaning and contribution. And when you yourself are inspired, it's easier to inspire others. Sure. It lights a fire. It's like a candle it lights other candles. It, inspire, it can help inspire others. And so it's learnable. And so when we demystify it and separate it from charisma, then, then it becomes something that we say, this is a stewardship we have as leaders. I'm sure you're like me, Nick. I know some people who might be charismatic who don't inspire they For might sure. motivate but they yeah. don't inspire i yeah. know other people who no one would necessarily describe as charismatic but who are extraordinarily inspiring so they're not the same and and the the main learning of the book and the insight is everyone can inspire it's a learnable skill and that's hopeful for all of us as, as leaders but it links really nicely to a quote i wanted to mention from your books because we've got some of the industry's most senior leaders in the world of HR, learning and development and beyond that listen to this show, right? So yes. I read this in your book and I'm just going to read out a very, very short excerpt. It was a quote that just resonates with me. It says, if you're still trying to win by containing people instead of unleashing their potential, by motivating others, which you just talked about funnily enough, instead of inspiring them, by focusing on competing and self-interest above caring and service, then you're playing tennis with a golf club, which I love. I don't, maybe it's the sport analogy. You said the game has changed. Let me show you how. I think you've just gone into that in some, some great detail. For the leaders listening to this, who are perhaps still falling into elements of that statement, and we've, we've definitely covered the motivation and inspiring piece in, in some great detail there. Perhaps they're still trying to contain people, though. We want to unleash that potential. How? What's the next step you'd recommend that leaders listen to this now? They've turned the audio off, Stephen, and it's their next stage in their development. They, want, they feel inspired by this audio, and they want to make an instant change or implementation or, or just do something to act upon what they've heard. What would you recommend? I would recommend this. It starts first with the paradigm 
of how you view people and how you view leadership. And when you view leadership as a stewardship, which means that it, it comes with, with responsibility, yeah, not just a right. See, stewardship, leadership is not a position. Leadership is a, a choice. It's a stewardship that has implicit responsibilities built in. I call a stewardship a job with a trust. One of the jobs with a trust as a leader is to see the potential of your people and to ultimately unleash it. And I've learned to try to treat people according to their potential, not just to their behavior. And if you see them for who they can become and help them see that themselves, then that will be able to help you move from just the idea that there's potential in people to truly unleashing it. And so I call this process, see, communicate, develop, unleash. See the potential. You got to see it first. And sometimes we often don't see the greatness that's inside of people. There is greatness in people. So it starts with that fundamental belief that people have greatness inside of them. Yeah. The implication of that is, so my job as a leader, my stewardship is to unleash their potential, not contain them or control them. But that's not enough. I've got to help them come to see it in themselves. So I then move from see to communicate. So now I'm trying to communicate greatness, the greatness people have to others so that they can come to see it in themselves and believe it and become inspired by it themselves. Then I need to develop that greatness. And that's going to include trusting them, giving them opportunities and chances to develop and training and development, all the things we do in HR that can help people develop their greatness. And then I need to unleash it so they can use those talents for the service of our mission and our clients and customers and, and really use it. And, and there's a lot more talent and capability that people have that they're not able to give. I learned this in being with my father when, when uh, we would do these workshops together while he was mm -hmm. living and he would ask people, these are, you know, we have a thousand people in the room and he'd, and he'd come in and, and he was, he asked two questions first. He'd, he'd ask how many of you believe that the vast majority of the workforce in your organization has far more talent, creativity, ability, ingenuity, and energy than their current job requires or even allows them to contribute. <laughs> and almost every hand in the room would go up. Yeah. In other words, everyone has a lot more to give than they're able to give or even allowed to give. And then the second question would be, how many are under immense pressure to try to do more with less? And almost every hand in the room goes up. So we've got to do more with less and people have a lot more to give. What, you know, it's kind of like, let that settle in. We're not, we're not tapping into it. If we could tap into this creativity and ingenuity and power, potential greatness that's in people, they could do better and we could do better. Our performance is nowhere near our potential. So we've got to see the potential, see the greatness, communicate the greatness and the potential, develop the greatness and the potential, and unleash it. And, and see, communicate, develop, unleash. So that's be what I would say is start with your paradigm, what, how you see it, yeah. then move into action, communicate it, develop it, unleash it. And that is what's going to close those gaps and move our performance to our potential, to, to where we could be. Sure. And we're nowhere near where we could be today. And I we need to that. get there. What a 
a brilliant, brilliant response. I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little bit of devil's advocate on the back of that response, Stephen. Okay. So I don't want to take any of the inspiration out of the audio here because that response was fantastic. However, if I am an HR leader, perhaps listening to this, and I okay, I've listened to everything you've said, I'm gonna get into that paradigm shift, I'm gonna try and do those, do those deliverables to, to really unleash the potential, but perhaps. It, something in their life, something in the leadership role has meant that they've done something that may have lost the trust of their employees. They're desperate, they're scrambling to get it back, whatever that might be. Maybe they have micromanaged, maybe they've made an accusation, whatever it is. Maybe it's their personal lives, not even professional. Yeah. But they've done something in their mind that's catastrophic, that has lost the trust of one employee or all their employees. And I think and what you've said is great, Stephen, but how do I get there when I've, when I've lost it? Can you yeah. get it back? What, what do you do? Yeah. My short answer is I believe you can in most situations. Okay. There may be a few situations where the nature of the loss of trust might be so egregious. And, and, and then maybe the nature of the relationship is more transactional where people just move on sure. and you don't have a chance to get it back. But I think in most situations, you can restore it if you're willing to pay the price and if others give you a chance to. So but here's the key learning. You can't talk your way out of a problem that you behave your way into. <laughs> so if we've lost people's trust through our behavior, words alone won't get it back. The only way to get it back is through behavior. We have to behave our way back into trust, just like you behaved your way out of it. And so we've got to kind of confront reality that we've lost the trust and we got to own it, be accountable for it, take responsibility. It's hard to restore trust with another if you're saying it's their fault. Yeah, you got to own it. Yeah, and then you got to right the wrong, and that might include apologizing in some cases. That's a very good thing to do. It takes humility. It might include making restitution, making up for it. Restitution is a legal concept that means to make whole. You do the best you can to right the wrong. Then you've got to clarify expectations going forward of what you're going to do to try to regain, reestablish, re-earn people's trust. You tell them what you're going to do. Then the most important thing is now you've got to keep the commitment you just made. You yeah. got to do what you said you were going to do. And if you do this, if you're willing to kind of be humble about this and take it on, own it, make it right and tell them what you're going to do and now do what you say you're going to do, it's possible to actually behave your way back into trust. It takes you longer. You know, you can destroy it overnight. It takes you a lot longer to get it back, but it's possible in most situations. And the people, the companies, the leaders that do this can regain, reestablish this trust with others, with other stakeholders in most situations. And so that's hopeful. And, and I would just preface all of this with right up front as a leader, declare your intent. And, and you know, might even say, look, I maybe don't have the level of trust I need to have. I've lost it. And I want to do what I need to do to reestablish it, to regain it, to restore it. That is my intent. And I'm willing to earn it through my behavior. I'm not asking my words to be sufficient. I want to demonstrate it through my behavior. Nice. That most people will respond to that and give you a chance. Yeah. And I think sure. then you can rebuild it. I even saw this at a company level. And one of the great companies around is uh, Zoom. Their leader, Eric Yuan, is extraordinary. He has, by the way, on gla by Glassdoor, <laughs> anonymous surveys from his own people, a 99% approval rating from his own people. Nick, I don't think I could get 50% from my own kids. You know, I mean, I mean, so he's off the charts and, and he believes in trust and in being trustworthy and being trusting. And when the, when the pandemic first hit, 
there were some security issues that came out and Zoom lost a little bit of trust and he just took it head on. He owned it. He took responsibility for it. He came out and said, we've lost some of your trust. That's not acceptable. We're going to work to build it back. But he owned it. He took responsibility. He told people what he was going to do. And then he did what he said he was going to do. And you know what? They regained it. They reestablished it. They, they became better and they yeah. restored the trust. And, and so it's possible to do it at an institutional level. It's possible to do it at a personal level. It's not easy. Sure. But I believe if you're, if you're willing to behave your way back into it, you can do it. And we need that in our world today. If we, if we couldn't restore trust, we'd all be circling the drain yeah. <laughs> because we've well, all fallen short. It's a great it's a great example. He's obviously someone as well I know that uh, has read and been very complimentary about the book. So maybe he was inspired by your words before giving that response. Whatever it was, uh, it's a great example to give. There's a chapter in your book, um, Stephen, that you've titled What Trust and Inspire Is Not. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I think this is critical, especially for HR leaders who are going to be helping the organization, you know, transition really from command and control to trust and inspire. Yeah. And the, the danger is you're going to have some managers that kind of feel like, gosh, well, this trust and inspire is this is too soft <laughs> or this is weak or this is not real leadership. This is not being in charge. And it would be framing trust and inspire as kind of the opposite of command and control, which they might see as strong, decisive leadership. And no, the opposite of command and control is abdicate and abandon. <laughs> that means, you know, <laughs> I'm, I've moved from being hands-on to being completely hands-off where I'm not leading anymore. And that's not trust and inspire. Trust and inspire is a third alternative. That means I'm going hand in hand, not excessively hands-on where I'm hovering and micromanaging that command and control, but it's not hands-off where I'm not leading and I've abandoned and abdicated. Instead, it's hand in hand and it's not soft. It's actually strong. It takes great strength to, to be trust and inspire. And it shows great strength because you're clear on who you are. It's just like there's great strength in being vulnerable. That's not a vulnerability. is not a weakness. It's a strength. It shows it's the greatest measure of courage, as Brene Brown says. And you can have a lot of vision and still have a trust and inspire leadership and be a visionary leader. I like to say you can be authoritative without being authoritarian. Yeah, nice. You can be decisive without being autocratic. You can be detail-oriented without being distrusting. You can be strong without being forceful. You can be compelling without being compulsory. You can be um, in charge and have control without being controlling. And that's the whole idea of trust and inspire. It is strong. And it's a better way to lead in a new world. And so I think it's important that we don't kind of default to what some might see of, well, gosh, command and control is this. We need this kind of leadership sure. in our world today. No, it, no, actually, people don't want to be managed. They want to be led. And command and control, its expiration date has passed. It doesn't work anymore. And it's not what the new people, new generations want is less effective. You're not gonna you're not gonna build a great culture doing that and retain and inspire the best people or bring out the best in people. And you're not gonna be able to collaborate and innovate with command and control. Instead, trust and inspire is a better way 
to build that high trust culture that inspires and to be able to create the collaboration and the innovation to stay relevant through trust and inspire. And it's strong. It's authoritative without being authoritarian. And so it's a third alternative from, you know, abdicating abandon or yeah. command and control. So, yeah. yeah. And your passion, your knowledge, your energy. I mean, it's inspiring in itself, Stephen. It really is. And I think everything you're saying for me anyway, and hopefully for my listeners is absolutely hitting home. It's a fantastic book. Trust and Inspire said it's going to be in the show notes. You can absolutely grab yourself a copy. It's going to be on Amazon. So I'll put a link on there as well. But it would be remiss of me, Stephen, not to ask with some of the amazing leaders you've worked with, 55 countries you mentioned, some amazing CEOs, some of the industry le- world's industry leading leaders and professionals. I have to ask you, what? where is leadership going? What's the next big thing? How are you seeing leadership going forward? The next big thing is inspiration. Inspirational leadership. If this is where... As Wayne Gretzky says, he skates to where the puck is going to be. That's what made him a great hockey player. Um, where the puck is going in leadership is towards inspiration. Inspiration is the new engagement. Inspiration is the next frontier of engagement. I'm all in favor of engagement. We've been focusing on engagement for 20, 25 years, and we need, need to remain focused on engagement. But there's another level, that, and that's inspiration. And the data, there's data from Bain and Company that shows this, that inspired employees are even 56% more productive than engaged employees. Wow. What great statistic. Yeah. And they're 125% more productive than merely satisfied employees. We all, we all know that. Satisfied is not enough. That's yeah. why we've moved to engagement. But I'm saying engagement is not enough. The next frontier is inspiration. And that's why specifically this leadership style is called trust and inspire, you know, as opposed to command and control, you trust and inspire. And there's three stewardships to it. Modeling, trusting, inspiring. Modeling is who we are. Trusting is how we lead. Inspiring is connecting to why, to why it matters. And so that's where it's going. Most people will come to the conclusion that that we need to move away from command and control. I think most people would say, I get that. I agree with that. And yet the data shows that about nine in 10 organizations are still operating in some form of command and control. So to know and not to do is not to know. So we, we know we need to move, but we're still we're still trapped in command and control cultures, industries, structures, et cetera. We need to move to trust and inspire. What I'm trying to do is name where we need to go. Describe what it is that we need to be doing in this new name, Trust and Inspire. And that is modeling, Trust and Inspire. And it's that simple. And then, and then try to give examples and models of, of leaders who are doing it and how to do it. And so I might just mention, I mentioned Eric Yuan. He's a Trust and Inspire leader. Um, Satya Nadella, yeah. Microsoft. He literally revitalized and transformed Microsoft through his leadership style. He's a trust-inspired leader. He modeled, he trusted, he inspired, and he continues to do so. They call it model coach care. It's the same three stewardships, modeling, trusting, and inspiring. He revitalized Microsoft. Their stock price under him is up about 10 times, but more than that, they're winning in the workplace. They've got a great culture again that, that brings in the best people, and they're collaborating and innovating again. Yeah. Um, Cheryl Batchelder. She ran Popeye's 
chicken in the United States, a big franchise system, a huge that had gone through multiple leaders in the past under the traditional models of leadership, command and control, even enlightened command and control. She came in, trust and inspire type leadership. She modeled, she trusted and inspire. Night and day turnaround in those two imperatives, when in the workplace, when in the marketplace, and their economic performance and financial results also extraordinary, you know, six, seven times multiple on their stock. Uh, there's many leaders that are doing this we need those kind of leaders today. We need models who can become mentors of this trust-inspired leadership so people can see this is a better way to lead, where you not only get better results, but you also grow your people. Yeah. And, and so for HR professionals, that's why I really hope that this book you'll find will be valuable because the subtitle of the book, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others, that's what we do in HR. Absolutely. What a great, well, I couldn't agree more. A great place to perhaps finish this conversation today, Stephen. It's been an absolute pleasure. And actually the things you've mentioned there, the tentacles of HR that this kind of touches upon is phenomenal. It's not just business performance, but it touches on wellness and well-being. It, it touches on employee engagement, which we've mentioned in detail, but it goes another level beyond engagement. Uh, but wellness, which is such a hot topic at the minute, if you feel inspired, it's it's got to have an impact on your positive mental health and well-being as well and performance, productivity, and who doesn't want to be an inspiring leader, particularly if you're in a leadership role in an HR, who doesn't want to be considered or seen as an inspiring leader. I think you've left us with so much to think about, so much implementable work as well, uh, both within ourselves and, and things hopefully we can we can deliver within our teams and improve performance and, and get to that inspirational level and aim towards that. So it's been an absolute pleasure. I knew it would be. I was inspired after having you on the show the first time. Delighted to have you back a second time, Stephen. You're so passionate in this subject. And it speaks to me. So I hope it speaks to my audience as well. Uh, so thank you ever so much for being on the show. And just one last time, it will be in the show notes. So please do click on the URL, check out the book for yourself. Cannot recommend it enough. And um, thank you, Stephen Coe, for joining me today on the HR L&D podcast. You're welcome, Nick. And I will say this, that Nick, you are a trust and inspire podcast host and leader that's truly unleashing the greatness in the people you're associating with in, in, in our HR leaders everywhere so that they can unleash the greatness in others. So this is the ripple effect of Trust and Inspire, and you're modeling this. So thank you. No, oh, that's made my day. That's made my day. Thank you ever so much. Of course, if you are an HR professional listening to this podcast, you want to find out more about HR recruitment, please check out our own URL, jjrecruitment.com. And just leads me to say a huge thank you once more to Stephen Covey. And I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the show real soon. Take care of yourselves and each other. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JJ Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with a current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.